Let's pray together. Father, we look to you and we say with your disciples in John chapter 6, where else can we go, Lord? Where else will we go but to you? You have the words of life and you're a life-giving God and you've given life to us. So, Lord, it's good for us just to remember the name of Jesus, which means God saves because that's a beautiful name. It's beautiful to us, Lord. We know some in our world would cast aspersions on the name of Jesus, but Lord, our knees bow when we hear that name. And our tongues acknowledge that you are Lord. And you are Lord when everything in our lives is going well, amen, but you are Lord when everything in our lives is coming apart and we are disintegrating, Lord. Your name is beautiful. Your name is wonderful. And when we think about the resurrection that we have sung about in anticipation of Easter two weeks from today, the baptism today, we believe in the resurrection as the choir sang, Lord. And everything in us wants to glorify Your name. And help us, I pray, Lord, today. We've... uh, We've seen a thousand faces this week on our television and computer and phone screens. We've seen a thousand faces as we've walked into our schools and the places that we work. But Lord, there's just one face we want to see today. We would like to see your face. And we pray, God, that this song we have sung will come true. That all the things of earth, our failures from this past week our successes from this past week, all the news we've read and heard, the triumphs of this past week and the tragedies of this past week. Lord, we pray in full view of Your mercy that these things would grow dim and that we would see Your glory. And yes, Lord, let us see Your grace and believe again that Your unmerited favor is the only way any of us is saved and the only hope of life for people like us. So we pray these things and believe them in the name, the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Wow, it's been an amazing weekend. I had the chance to go to family retreat. We did our first one last year, so that was like an event. But when you do it two years in a row, uh, per Tallowood history, that becomes a tradition. So uh, mark it on your calendars for next year. Um, just some highlights, some really amazing things. But uh, the one that stands out to me was trying to eat s'mores by the campfire after we gave all of the kids marshmallow guns. I don't know if you can be bruised by marshmallows, but if you could, I would be. And I thought for a while it was because they didn't like the people around me, but it really didn't matter where I went because I just got, you know, and thankfully you'll be happy to know I did not take up arms against them, but I was shot many times with marshmallows and just to see kids running and laughing and playing was a beautiful thing. And so I hope uh, that we will continue that tradition. About 150 of our folks are there if you're missing some of our people this morning and then this beautiful music of the choir 
But if you're like me, it's been a, a painful week just to uh, watch in the news, and particularly this story about the um, senior adults riding the bus coming back from New Braunfels. And uh, 13 out of 14 on that bus were killed. Uh, the driver of the pickup is in critical condition. The one other person on the bus they think is, is improving from critical to fair condition, we hear uh, there in Colleen. And it's very close to home for us. Uh, 14 years ago, we lost Melanie's mom in a very similar accident. They were on their way to a Bill Gaither concert. This group was on their way back from um, a camp, a Baptist encampment uh, over in Lakey, Texas. And all of that just raises questions for us perhaps today. Um, For instance, uh, when all of life caves in, what then? Is God there? Does God care when His people who are simply serving Him are taken away suddenly, unexpectedly? And what does the Scripture have to say about things like that? We are called to Christ. We've been talking about that all year. Now we see in the Gospel of John, we are called to believe. Would you open your Bibles with me? Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel chapter 11. John's the only one who tells us this story, and he had a front row seat to God's glory. He saw Jesus' life full of grace and truth, and there's an unusual moment in Jesus' ministry. He's facing a lot of opposition. A lot of people are out to get him, and about that time, when he's in a time of significant ministry across the Jordan River, where he really sort of ran for his life, to get away from those who were in Judea, he gets a message from a family of very close friends, two sisters and a brother, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We know him from the Gospel of Luke, but we also know him from the Gospel of John. And they send Jesus a simple message. They say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. And they know what Jesus does for sick people. They've seen him heal. They've heard about how he's helped other people So they're believing at any second Jesus is going to come in and save their brother's life. Except for four days, they get radio silence. And Jesus is nowhere to be found for them. We have the advantage as the reader of knowing where he is and what he's doing. But they don't know. And then he shows up. And that's the story I want to tell you today. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and his word. I know, I know, I know he has something to say to us today that will help us. And I find these words in John chapter 11, verse 17, where it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, please be seated. Names have meaning. The little village of Bethany is just, just right above the Mount of Olives where Jesus would spend the last week of his life at night. But he was close to Bethany. It's about three kilometers, uh, two miles away. And it means the house of pain. Why would you name your town the house of pain? I mean, I get the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. I get that. But the house of pain. And in that town lives a man named Lazarus, which means, which means God has helped him. And we're going to see how he lives up to his name. His Martha and Mary, they're famous to us from the Gospel of Luke because Martha's preparing the meal and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. In fact, every time we see Mary in the Gospel, she is at Jesus' feet. She's learning from him. She's weeping at his feet after her brother dies in the verses that follow. And then she washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. Martha is the one who comes to Jesus. In fact, they send him word and say, Lord, the one you love is sick and we all expect in that moment that Jesus will come. Why? Because if we've been reading the Gospel of John together, what we know is Jesus helped a royal official and healed his son at a distance and Jesus didn't even know this guy. And we know Jesus healed a lame man. He sought him out there by the pool of Bethesda. He chose to go to this guy. This guy didn't ask Jesus for help. Jesus found him. And the blind man in chapter 9, when the disciples say, so who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither one. But we got work to do. And Jesus heals this man. For heaven's sake, he fed thousands of people meals and we know he didn't know all of them they weren't all his close friends so here's the question what would you do if you would do that for people you don't even know what would you do for somebody who's your friend somebody whom you love and it's just perplexing that the story says Jesus says This sickness will not end in death, but God is going to be glorified through Lazarus' sickness. And it says, Jesus loved them, so he stayed put. What? He loved them, so he stayed put. But there's, there's more story going on here because we know from the chapter before that after Jesus heals the blind man and the Pharisees say, what do you think? We're blind. And Jesus says, yeah, if you were blind, you wouldn't be to blame, but you think you can see. And then that escalates into Jesus saying, so all the people who came before me, like these religious leaders, are, are, are thieves and they come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And they're getting really irritated. And then Jesus says, And I think he's talking about Martha here. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the very next verse says, so they picked up rocks and they tried to kill him. And in verse 39, it says they tried to capture him, but they couldn't do it. And all I want you to see is 
for Jesus to save Lazarus' life, he had to give up his own. Because chapter 11, verse 53 says, when he got there and he healed Lazarus, that was the day they decided Jesus has to die. And Lazarus is not alone in this. In fact, I'm looking around this room, and let me be, be careful to see. Yeah, I don't see anyone who has a different story than Lazarus, because here's the truth. Jesus had to die to give all of us life, every one of us in this room. And, and Jesus loved him so much that Jesus goes and he weeps with Mary and he ministers to Martha and then he calls Lazarus from the tomb and Jesus proves his point. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And as I look at this room and I think about our theology, I realize that sometimes you and I are confident that Jesus is our resurrection. I'm guessing you don't have another plan for resurrection after you die. And unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. And we don't, so Jesus is the resurrection. We're pretty unanimous on that one. But I was wondering all week long, so I just have to ask you, would you say that Jesus is also your life? I don't mean your, like, fire insurance in heaven someday, your resurrection. I mean, is he, would people who know you, for instance, say, The thing about her or him is that Jesus is their whole life. I only ask because I think that's what Jesus is asking of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And in chapter 12, they throw a party at their house, and I'm guessing they're pretty happy. But I think if you had said to Lazarus at that moment, so fill in the blank, Lazarus. Jesus is your resurrection, yes, life. He is my life. So two thoughts about Jesus' love. How do we know that Jesus loves us? Well, the first thing that becomes clear to me from this text is Jesus loves us so much that he chose to die so that we could live. And I just point out again that the story in chapter 10, verse 31, um, is that Jesus is willing to, to die for them. They're trying to kill him, and eventually he goes back. Why? So we may look at this and say, well, does Jesus really love Lazarus? Here's the question, really. Let me, let me try to articulate it more clearly. Can Jesus love us and let us go through a hard time? What do you think? Can G- I mean, if we're going through a hard time, does that mean... I mean, we know Jesus loves us when, you know, we think about, God, let me marry a great lady. Uh, God gave us wonderful children. Uh, God blessed me so that I get to be the pastor of an amazing church. God loves me. I know God loves me when I get on I-10 at rush hour and the cars part like the Red Sea. And I'm like, whoo-hoo, I'm like free. There's nobody in front of me at 5 o'clock on a Friday. Whoa, God loves me today. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. I know he loves me when everything's going my way. But can I just ask you when things aren't going your way, does he still love you? Because here's what they said. In verse three, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. They used the word phileo, interestingly. The one you love like a friend. But then in verse five of chapter 11, John says, yeah, so Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, but he doesn't use the word like a friend, phileo. He uses the word agape. He loved them with the love of God. 
He loved them with an unconditional, eternal love. He just wants us to know the love of God is not in question. But Jesus stays right there while his friend is sick, while his friend dies. Jesus stays in that same place because his love is not in question. I'll tell you how, how well people knew that Jesus loved him. When Jesus wept in verse 35, in verse 36, even the Pharisees and Jews who are skeptical of Jesus, the crowd that's gathered for the morning, they say, see how much he loved him? They use the word phileo. He loved him like a friend. And then they say in verse 37, couldn't he who healed the blind man have kept this guy from dying? In other words, they're saying, we're, we're what? we know he loves him. We can tell he's crying. Why wasn't he here? Now that's Martha and Mary's question of him. Lord, the one you love, and they're expecting him to show up. And we just know that God loves us. And if we know that God loves us, we just think, well, then everything's going to go right. Except it doesn't. And sometimes... And sometimes when life is at its craziest, that's when God feels so very far away. Um, I was reading Ivan Ilyich this weekend, um, Leo Tolstoy's book, and in it, um, there's a moment when Ivan Ilyich, he says um, he's angry because of the cruelty of people and the cruelty of God, and he's angry at the absence of God. And then he just asked this question. Have you ever asked this? Why hast thou done this? Why hast thou brought me here? Why, why dost thou torment me so terribly? Why is life so hard? Why am I dying, Ivan Ilyich asks. Maybe Lazarus is feeling that. He keeps thinking he's going to hear the resonant voice of Jesus coming around a corner to fix this, and Jesus doesn't show up. And he must be wondering... Why? Why is this happening to me? I read about Teresa of Avila this week. She was just trying to build an orphanage for God, for heaven's sake. She's just trying to build an orphanage. And it got destroyed three times by fire, by storm, by flood. And finally she said, so this is what she said to God. Are you, are you this audacious? She said, so this is how you treat your friends. No wonder you have so few of them. God, if this is the way you let happen to your friends, then wow, I understand why you have so very few friends in the world. But the question of God's love um, is not in question because the, the story, if we read chapter 10 and 11, is that Jesus is on his way to die for these friends. And in fact, what will start the chain of events which leads to his death is precisely his going back to Judea after they tried to stone him, 1031, after they tried to catch him, 1039. He walks he flies like a fly right into their spider web by going back. But he's got to go back. And in chapter 11, verse 53, it says, so, so they decided right then, he has got to die. So how do we know that God loves us? We can get kind of codependent sometimes, even with God. I know that because I heard a famous preacher. I was on sabbatical one time and I heard this famous preacher and he had written a famous book and he stood up to preach and he said, you know, I'm just having a hard week. He was kind of having a saran wrap day. You know what I mean? He was kind of clingy and he, he was like, you know, I just don't know how much God loves me. He said, I was on the plane here and I said to God, I said, God, if you really love me, send somebody to me right now who will say to me that one of my books has touched their life. And he said, while I was sitting there, this woman walked up and said, hey, aren't you, I'm not gonna tell you his name, and he said, yeah. And she said, oh, I read your book. It helped me so much. And he said, she walked away. And I said to God, God, could you send another? And it's kind of funny, but then it's kind of like, really? Like, how do we know that God loves us? And here's the answer. He, he died for us. If you ever wonder, does God really love me? Here's the answer to that question. 
He died for us. So in chapter 13, it says Jesus is about to have the last supper with his disciples. He's about to go to the cross and it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end and he showed them the full measure of his love. What is the full measure of God's love? I get a good grade. I get a good job. Everything in my life goes perfectly. I get unexpected money. Um, Everything goes my way. I don't get sick. I mean, how do I know God loves me? And the answer to that is, he sent his only son to die for me. And that never changes. So if you're looking for a peg to hang your faith in God's love on, just start there. I was listening to Evie Hill this week and Evie Hill was telling about the time that he uh, was was in the midst of the riots over in Los Angeles and he took an unpopular stand and he got a phone call his wife standing there one night phone rings picks up the phone and whoever's on the other end says we are going to kill you and we're, we're going to bomb you and when you least expect it expect it his wife said what did they say he said it doesn't matter she said, he, he, she said tell me he said they said they're going to kill me and, and they had recently killed another person in Los Angeles with a car bomb. He hangs up the phone. Later that week, he wakes up early in the morning, reaches across the bed. She's not there. His wife is not there. He walks to the door. He sees the car go by. They're blocked. Come back around again and then pull into the driveway. And he says to her when she comes inside, what are you doing? And she said, well, I was afraid they had planted a bomb in your car. And if it blew up, I didn't want you to be hurt. And E.B. Hill said, after that, I never, ever asked my wife, do you love me? (laughs) Because I already knew the answer. And this is the point. When you and I turn our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and see the cross, we know that he loves us. How do we know? Because he was willing to die for us. So his love is not in question. So then the question is, if God loves us enough that he sent his only son to die for us, then doesn't it make sense that He loves us enough to call us to believe in Him. So Martha gets up because she wants to see Jesus. I was just wondering if you want to see Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, the beatitude is true. It's safe to say to people, the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God because the pure in heart are the only ones who really want to see God. And Martha wants to see the face of God. Of Jesus, she knows who he is, and she's got you know uh, she's got a prepared speech. Lord, Lord, so she knows he's sovereign. She says, "You could have fixed this if you had been here." But the point is, we know from the royal official's son in chapter four, he didn't even have to be there. He could have just said the word from where he was, and Lazarus would have been well. But she says, "If you had been here, my brother would not have died." And she's expressing her frustration. There's a bit there's a bit of a rebuke here. Jesus, why did you let this happen? We thought you loved us, and now we wonder, and Jesus says, your, your brother's going to rise again. And listen to what she says. She says, well, I know at the last day in the resurrection, yeah, he'll rise again. I believe in that. But here's the thing about that. Her faith is all in the future. Now, the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, their faith is all in the past. We had hoped that he was the Messiah, but since he died, we know he's not the Messiah. But her faith is, yes, Lord, someday you're going to do something. And Jesus says to her, so here's the thing about the resurrection. That's who I am. Ego I me, I am 
This is the seventh sign in the Gospel of John, the seventh miracle story. And this is that, that powerful saying. It's not the last one. You know, it's not I am the way, the truth, and the life that we see in chapter 14. But it's the, it's the penultimate one, the next to last one. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Did you know those are not the same thing? Are you with me? When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he said two words because they're different things. And he actually explains them there in verses 25 and 26. So at the end of verse 25, by the way, the one thing that these two groups of people have in common is faith. And he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's the resurrection. So you die physically, but you're alive spiritually. That's the resurrection. And we need to believe in Jesus for our resurrection The basketball player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was backed up by a player who lived here in Houston um, named Coy McLemore, his wife Claudette McLemore. They were members of Westbury Baptist Church, and they had four children. Their first child was born stillborn. Their second child was diagnosed with sickle cell anemia at the age of six. She died at the age of eight. My friend Milton Cunningham was there in the hospital room when the little girl passed away, And he heard with his own ears, Claudette McLemore, she lifted her eyes to the Lord and she said, Lord, you have two and I have two. But if you take them all, I will still serve you. This is faith in the resurrection. How how can anybody say that? Because she knew that those who believe in Jesus, even if they die, they live again. That's a, that's a great promise. That's the resurrection. But I want to get to the second part because I think this is the one I want to be sure that we're on the same page on. He said, I am the life. And then at the start of verse 26, he says, and whoever lives by believing in me. So their life is characterized, epitomized by faith. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die, not, not never die physically, we all die physically unless Jesus returns, but will never die the second death, as Revelation calls it, to be separated from God. What Jesus is saying is, if Jesus is your life, then you live with this constant confidence that He is with you. So would you say that Jesus is your life? Would you say, Jesus is my life because I was reading in Colossians chapter 3 this week, you know, where he says, uh, since you have been raised with Christ. So that's a present experience. What I'm trying to say is our faith can't just be out in the future. It's got to be in the present. And he says, since you have already been raised with Christ, he's talking to people who are still alive. You've already been raised with Christ. Therefore, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died. Baptism symbolizes that. And... And you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Your whole life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life appears, Paul said, then you will also appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. I saw that. I thought about Paul in Philippians chapter 1. You know, he's in prison and he's writing a letter to the church that he loves, the church that gives him so much joy. And he says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. God, just be honest, most Christians I know, some of the strongest Christians I've ever known are terrified of death, are terrified of death. And I understand that at one level, on a human level, but then I think, but wait a minute, 
Christ is our life. Now, now, if something else is your life and it gets taken away, that's horrific, right? But if Christ is your life, here's the great thing. If you'll just make Christ your life, this is one thing you can be sure of. He will never, ever be taken away from you. So the whole of Scripture is God saying in the Old and New Testament, I am with you, I am with you. And in Matthew uh, 28, uh, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. All we need to figure out is, are we with God? Are we living life with God? I mean, he's not just like one hour of your week, is he? Isn't he the whole thing? He ought to be the whole thing. Because he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I mean, the promises in Scripture are just endless. When he says, I will be with you. And I was thinking about Michael Card's little song, you know, Michael Card, the theologian who also sang, and he said, could it be you make your presence known so often by your absence, by our perception of your absence? Could it be that questions tell us more than answers ever do? Could it be that you would really rather die than live without us? I know you know Jesus died so that you can live with him in heaven someday. I just don't want you to leave here today without knowing that Jesus died so that you can live with him right now. So that he will be not only your resurrection, but also your life. Because someday, and I don't know when it's going to be, we will find out what we really believe. We will find out what we really believe. When all of life caves in, what then? And we're wondering, is God there? Does God care? Who's the songwriter and singer on the radio who says, we're all just one phone call from our knees? So our phone call came on February the 14th, 2003, when we found out about a bus crash on I-35, just south of Waco, and Melanie's mom was taken away. And I remember two things from that experience. One, I remember just gratitude. We got to know her. We, got, we wouldn't be so sad if we hadn't gotten to know her and love her. And second, this is the other thing that came to me, and it was just like, it was, it was louder than audible. It was like God said to me, so what you believe really matters. And so Jesus looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? And she says, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But when they get to the cemetery and he's about to call Lazarus forth, she says, oh no, this isn't going to work because there's going to be a bad odor. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And my friend um, Howie Batson tells about a horrific day about 16, 17 years ago. A young woman named Trish Cannon, 30 years old, goes into the hospital for routine surgery. Surgery goes well. She gets out. Later in the afternoon, she gets a headache. Then she loses consciousness. She has an aneurysm. The church prays. Her family prays. Her husband, their small children are praying for her to live. And there comes a moment when the doctors say, so she's not going to live. We've got to disconnect life support. So Howie gathers the family, and one by one, they say goodbye to her. And her husband stays longer. He's in there for like 30 minutes. And Howie, a good pastor, is standing by the door looking to see if he needs him. And he sees the man move purposefully and then come out the door. And he says, it's okay. And Howie walks in the room and he finds that the husband has opened Trish Cannon's Bible to this book. 
the book of John. It's the third chapter, the 16th verse. And he has placed his wife's finger on their faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we believe that Jesus is our resurrection. We don't have a plan B for that. But I pray that that in preparation for that day when all of life caves in, that we would resolve together as a church today that we would accept the call to believe. That like Martha, we would come to Christ and that we would see your face even when life is really, really dark and the clouds roll in and it's hard to find the sun, that even on those days we would see your face and that the things of life would grow strangely dim in the, in the clear light of your glory and your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.